You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. I'm excited today to start this new series, Shift, where we're really talking about how we can shift our entire life, every aspect of our life toward Jesus. And I don't know if that's what you want to do in your life, but my prayer is that by the time this series is over, you've taken some steps of faith in your life. And um, if you if you don't follow us on Facebook, I would recommend doing that. We put a lot of information out. But we put our, our song list out every week. So I saw Heart of Worship, and it took me back to like ninth grade, back of a youth group um, van, um, trying to probably hit on a girl or something like that. But I say that to say this. That the, the words of that song is really the premise of this entire series. Is that we want to get back to Jesus. That everything that we do in life, we want it to revolve around Jesus. And we truly want Him to be the one thing that drives everything. And I'm afraid that, especially in our culture, that we are the one thing that drives everything. Like Dustin's really good at driving stuff in Dustin's life. And my prayer is that throughout this series, we get to a place where Jesus really becomes the center of it all. That He really becomes the one thing that drives everything. We say here all the time that Jesus came on a rescue mission for us. And we believe that Jesus really came on a rescue mission for all humanity. And we talked about that all of last year, and we're going to continue to talk about that because the rescue mission is important. But this is what we have to understand about the rescue mission. Is that once we've been rescued, we join the rescue team. And we should be engaging in the mission to make a kingdom impact. We should be engaging in the mission to change a city for and with the gospel. So my question before we ever get started is how many of you are engaged in the mission of God? What does it mean? It means that we really live out the gospel in our life. It means that we don't just talk about it, we don't just proclaim it, but we actually put on display the gospel of Jesus. I want you to think about some of the interactions that you have on a daily basis. I want you to think about if those interactions are glorifying to Jesus or if they're not glorifying to Jesus. And some of you, one of your interactions that you maybe had this morning before you came to church, right? It popped in your head like, yeah, that definitely wasn't glorifying to Jesus. And if you have kids that you're trying to get ready for church, that usually happens on Sunday mornings. But how can we truly put on display the gospel? And I believe with all my heart that if we begin to shift everything in our life toward Jesus, the gospel overflows out of us. It's not something we have to think about. It's not something that we, we have to manufacture. It's something that's so ingrained in us because we've shifted our life to Jesus. And when we begin to do that, I believe that His grace and His love and His mercy and the characteristics of Jesus flow out of us. And that is how we put the Gospel on display. We'll never reach the world for Jesus if 
we don't show them who Jesus is. We can tell them all day long who Jesus is, but they want to see the evidence of a changed life. They want to see the evidence of how we were dead and we were brought to life through the power of Jesus. They want to see the evidence that God says, hey, we're supposed to love people. They want to see us actually love people. See, our job as Christ followers, we've been rescued. Now our job is to join the rescue team. And my prayer is that in 2023 as we shift, we begin to engage in the mission of rescuing a community. We've been rescued. And that's that's when things start to shift and things start to get better. This entire year, every series, every message will be geared toward us realigning our focus to Jesus. So I'm telling you up front, this is our first Sunday morning of the year. We met last Sunday night. So for anyone that showed up last week at 10 a.m., I apologize. I meant to come up here and just to tell you that we weren't meeting until 6 p.m. And I'm going to be honest, really transparent, I was still asleep, I think. So I couldn't make it up here. Um, But we talked about engaging in the mission. We talked about aligning everything back to Jesus. I want to tell you up front that every series, every message, every week of this year will be geared toward that. And if that's not something you're interested in, I'm okay with that. And maybe you're like, hey, I don't care about that and I don't want to show up. But this is, this is what I do know, is that we all want something. We're all searching for something. And I believe that that something is Jesus and a gospel-infected life. I believe if you'll give it a chance, that you'll see the power of the Spirit do some work. I believe that this is going to be a year like no other year for every single person in this room. And I'm I'm proclaiming that and I'm claiming that for you and for me. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1, just a few verses this morning, but we're going to talk about shifting our satisfaction and our affection toward Jesus. What brings us satisfaction in life? Now, if you know me, you know that food brings me a lot of satisfaction. I love food but I'm also very picky. So it's really weird. I, I, I really love food, but I don't like lettuce on my sandwiches or my burgers. I don't like tomatoes. I really don't like vegetables at all, um, except potatoes, and that's a vegetable to me. I love French fries. I love all that stuff, right? Mac and cheese, still a vegetable to me. All that stuff. But man, it brings me satisfaction, right? When my wife is being nice, Right? She's not always, but when she's being nice to me, that brings me satisfaction. When my kids are behaving, that brings me satisfaction. Watching my youngest kid sleep brings me satisfaction in multiple ways. He looks cute, and at the same time, he's being really good in that moment. So what I want to talk about this morning is a satisfaction that runs way deeper than any of that. So what we've what we tried to do is we've tried to allow all that stuff to take to take the place of Jesus. We've tried to allow all of that temporary satisfaction to do something within us that it just can't do. And when we realize that all this stuff can't bring us the satisfaction we're searching for, what we do is we begin to add more stuff to try to be satisfied more and more and more 
And all it takes is for us to say yes to Jesus and begin to allow Him to fill that space in our life. We're going to see that God's people here in Isaiah, and man, these these people, when, when you hear this, you're going to be like, yeah, that's not us. But man, as I read this, I want you to think about how this really relates to us right now. Not, not thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, but right now. Isaiah 1, starting in verse 10. says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required to you, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense and is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I could not endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. God, I pray that you speak this morning through your word. I pray that your spirit moves in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. So besides me jacking up some words, this is what this means. Here's, here's God's people who have continuously, right, what, what we like to think about is they turn away from God and they begin to worship idols. Now these people will get there, but in this moment, they're not there yet. What they've done is they've turned away from God, but their religious activity has continued. They've continued to offer sacrifices. They can, they've continued to pray. And God says, hey, so you're doing all this stuff, but your heart is completely jacked up. Your heart's not in it. You don't care about me. You're not living for me. So all this religious activity that you're doing, hey, it, it doesn't mean anything. And God says, hey, so I reject that. What, what they've done is what we often do in America on Sunday morning is people show up in a building and they sing songs and they, they say these prayers, but their hearts are so far away from God. And you say, well, these, these people, man, they, they must have been doing some really bad stuff because God's pretty, He's pretty hard on them in this saying, hey, so that I reject this stuff. This stuff is, is, is nothing to me. And this is the reason because He doesn't care about the activity. He cares about the heart. And when the heart's right, the activity flows from that. He could care less about us coming in here and singing worship songs and opening up this Word if our heart is completely away from Him. What God wants is not religious routine. God wants something that's deeper than that. God wants a relationship that is geared around His majesty and His holiness and His goodness. And what we do oftentimes is we're really good at posting on Facebook some Bible verses and some things about Jesus. And then we go off and we do whatever we want to do because we have become the one thing that drives everything. And we actually see in the next chapter of Isaiah, it says their land is filled with idols. So they got there. Isaiah 2 verse 8 says their land is filled with idols. 
they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So this is, they started with just religious activity that meant nothing, and they, they graduated to idols. And you say, well, I would never, I would never bow down and worship something else. I would never bow down and worship an idol. And this is what I would say to you, is that we do it every single day. Is that we have idols in our life, just as they did in, in this experience. Our idols just look a little different. Our idols are things like our careers. Our idols are things like uh, sports or TV, electronics, money, the living up with the, the, the status quo or trying to keep up with the Joneses or addiction or whatever fill-in-the-blank material things, we have idols that we worship every single day. And what an idol is, is it's something that we put more importance and more value on than God Himself. And the biggest idol that all of us have is us. We become our biggest idol. Because we try to satisfy some fleshly longings in our life and by doing that, we have to, we have to begin to, to grab a hold and to attach ourselves to all these external, worldly, material things because that's what brings satisfaction to our flesh. And we believe that's most important. Now, I'm not telling you that you should live a life of suffering, right? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to go there with you. I'm trying to tell you that if we can be satisfied on the inside, then externally, will be satisfied because Jesus is good. Because we serve a God who cares about His kids. We serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who wants good for us, even when our good is different than His good. We serve a God that even in the suffering, we see Him working and doing things that no one else could do. The problem is, we have set up idols in our life. And every single person in this room right now, including myself, there are things, there are idols that we have, and this is what I want us to do, is I want us to begin to smash those idols. And I want us to begin to shift our satisfaction and our affection toward Jesus. See, the world begs for our affection. There's companies that spend billions and billions of dollars on marketing to get your attention. To get my attention. And they do a really good job. Especially food ones, man. I'm just, they're really good at marketing and spending money to do these things. And they want our affection. They want our attention because that's money for them, right? We buy their stuff. They spend more money to get more people to buy more stuff. The world wants our affection. Man, it's doing a really good job of getting us. It's doing a really good job of infiltrating the church of saying, hey, so is, is God really all that He says He is? is? Is He really worth going to church for? Is He really worth living your life for? Is He really worthy of all that stuff? Is His Word really even true? Does, does He really even know what He's doing? And the enemy begins to throw all these questions and all these doubts into our mind as the world is saying, hey, so God might not be all this stuff, but hey, this is. 
This will satisfy you. This will take care of you. This will make you look younger. This will make your beard not white and you can have a black beard. This, this may do all kinds of stuff for you that you want. And all of that is temporary mess that does nothing for our lives in a substantial, eternal, spiritual way. And it begs for us. It begs for our affection. It begs for our attention. It gets it a lot of times. So how can we begin to shift that toward Jesus? Number one, I'm going to give you three really quick things. Number one is this. Ask God to search your heart. All of our hearts are different. We all have different tendencies. We all have different struggles. We all have different temptations. And I think, and it's dangerous, it's dangerous, but we should ask God to search our heart. We see the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist is saying, hey God, search in here. See if there's anything against you. See if there's any other idol. See if there's anything that needs to be cleaned up, and then lead me in the way of you. Lead me in, in your direction. Lead me where you want me to go. And it's dangerous. I say it's a dangerous prayer because as we begin to ask God to search our hearts, we begin to, to recognize some things that maybe we don't want to recognize. There's some things that are tucked so deep away in the darkness that are going to be brought to light. But this is what I know because I've experienced this in my life is that once it's brought to light, that's when God begins to do some miraculous things. And it's better for us to go ahead and allow Him to search our hearts, to bring it to light, because it's coming to light anyway. Things don't stay hidden. So my, my challenge to you is to allow God to search your heart. And when I say that, and this is what I mean by that, because God can do what He wants, right? But we want Him to reveal to us what's inside that doesn't align with Him. We want Him to reveal to us what's really deep in our hearts that has taken the place of Him being the one thing that drives everything. And we're going to find some stuff that's really upsetting. But I believe that that's when the work of God really begins to, to shift our attention, our affection toward Him. Number two is this. Remember where you were. Let's remember before we got saved. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to remember your salvation experience. I'm not telling you that if you don't remember the exact moment, the exact day that you're not saved. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying let's remember who we were before Jesus and let's remember what He's done for us and who we are now. Right? So, we were dead in sin on our way to hell. And Jesus, through His rescue mission, through His love, through His defeating of death, says, hey, I now have something new for you. And the, the newness is a new life in me. And He snatched us from death to life. From darkness to His marvelous light. And what happens is when we first get saved, 
we're really excited a lot of times because it's like, man, this is something new. The weight of the world has been lifted off of me. And maybe we still struggle. There's still some things that we deal with. And, but we know that something's different because God's done something within us. And then over time, for whatever reason, that begins to fade away. And we seem to forget that we were dirty, nasty sinners in need of a Savior. And that Jesus did everything necessary for our salvation. And He snatched us out of the pit of hell and brought us into life. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, But I have this against you, talking to Christians, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This is, this is what's happening. Here's a church who's doing a, a lot of good stuff. This church is, if you read that entire letter to that church, they're doing really good stuff. They care about people. They're making a difference in the community. They're doing a lot of stuff. And he says, but this is the one thing I have against you. Yeah, you're doing all this stuff, but you've fallen away from your first love. Your first love of, of Jesus. Your first love of me. So we can do all the ministry that we want to do. We can engage in the mission of Jesus, which is what we want to do in 2023. But it starts with shifting our satisfaction and our affection toward Him. Because we can do all this stuff in the community, but if our hearts are wrong, then we're missing it. I don't want to be a church where our hearts are completely wrong, even if we're making a big difference in the community. No, I want us to be a church full of people whose heart is aligned with Jesus, and because of that, we're making a difference in the community. It matters. Our affection and our attention matters. This is, this is one of my favorite verses. Ezekiel 36.26 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what happens. We've talked about this before, but this is, this is what happens when we become Christians. We get a new heart. We don't get a fixed heart. We don't get a repaired heart. We get a new heart. And, and what we had is we had a heart of stone. We had a, a heart that cared nothing about Jesus. A heart that cared all about ourselves, all about the world. And then we say yes to Jesus and He says, hey, I'm going to remove that heart of stone. I'm going to give you a new heart. But what happens is over time, although we still have the new heart, our mind begins to conform to the world instead of being transformed by the Gospel of Jesus. So if we really want to shift our satisfaction and our affection toward Him, then we must remember where we were, and then we remember where He wants us to be, and where He wants us to be is in an intimate, personal relationship. Not just relationship. Intimate, personal relationship. Number three is this. We're going to ask God to search our heart. We're going to remember where we were. Number three is we're going to live in the joy of Jesus. We're going to live in the joy of Jesus. Matthew 13, this is a parable. This is like the shortest parable that Jesus told. 
Listen to this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Here is the point of the parable. Is that this man has all this stuff. He has maybe houses, he has cars, he has clothes, he has money, he has relationships, he has all this stuff. He sees heaven. He sees Jesus. He sees the gospel. It's a field in this parable. He covers it up. And in his joy, he goes and sells all this other stuff he has and he buys this field. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is how our affection and our attention should be on Him. Is that the gospel is so important that it's what matters more than anything else. That we can say, hey, I'm going to get rid of all this old stuff. This old stuff isn't important. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. How many of us can say, man, more than anything else, I want and it says in this parable, in his joy, he goes and he buys the field after selling everything that he has. Do you have the joy in Jesus? See, Jesus isn't just something that we, we, we check off on a piece of paper and say, you know what? I've been to church. I've said the prayer. I got baptized. I participated in communion. All oh, that's cool. I'm checking the box. That's not Jesus. No, Jesus, He gives us a joy that's unspeakable. And in that joy, we should say, man, none of this other stuff matters. What matters is Him. And through that, through that affection, through that satisfaction, the rest of our life flows into place. I'm not telling you that you, you pick Jesus and everything falls apart. No, I'm telling you that you pick Jesus and He holds things together. The way that He sees fit to hold things together. We say yes to Jesus. We focus on Jesus. Our satisfaction is on Jesus. And the rest of our life begins to fall into place and it's focused around the satisfaction and affection that we have in Jesus. Where is your joy? Where is the joy of the Lord in your life. Because that joy should lead you, and it should lead me, to where our satisfaction and our affection is solely in Jesus. And but that's just not always how it is. And as you're sitting here this morning, my question is, have you found, have you found that joy? You found the joy that is greater than anything else you've ever experienced in your life. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I experienced some pretty cool things in life, right? Food. Again, one of my favorite things. I love it. Being able to pay my bills. That's, that brings me satisfaction. I, I like doing that. Being able to buy my kids some stuff. I like to do that. It brings me satisfaction. Having a car that I can drive back and forth brings me satisfaction. It makes some noises, but it works. It brings me satisfaction. Being in relationship with my wife, it brings me satisfaction. Being a father brings me satisfaction. 
Going to life group brings me satisfaction. Coming to church on Sunday morning brings me satisfaction. There's a lot of stuff in life that brings me satisfaction. But if I had none of that, would the joy in Jesus be enough for me to be satisfied? That's the question that you have to answer. If you had none of that other stuff, would He still be enough for you to be satisfied in life? Because that's when, that's when our affection and our satisfaction is full. That's when he truly is the one thing that I'm looking for. And I would love to stand up here and say, man, I'm going to be satisfied no matter what. I could lose it all and I'd be satisfied. And then I believe that. Believe that with all my heart. But we don't really know, right? We don't really know how we would act if we lost everything. So, so how, can we, how can we be confident that our life really revolves around Jesus. Let me give you a really practical thing, and we're going to close with this, but there's some, there's some stuff that, that I've learned over, over the years because, man, no matter what you think about me right now, you might think I'm a horrible person, you might think I'm a great person. I, I hadn't always been a, like a pastor-type person, right? i just just throwing that out there. There's, there's been some seasons of life where I haven't been that great of a person. And I've learned over time is that if I can just pause and just kind of wait on God, then what that does is it allows me, at least, at least for me personally, it allows me the, the joy of knowing that God has something to do with the decisions that I make in life. And this goes, man, this is small and it's big for me. I'm not telling you this is how you should do it. I'm telling you how it works for me. Before I buy something, I kind of pause just a little bit. Now, I think there's some preparation that we do. And as we prepare, right, God's involved in the preparation. So for me and my wife, we, we have a budget. We follow the budget. God's involved in the preparation of the budget. So when, when I buy stuff, a lot of times it's just, all right, we've already made the budget. He's been, he's been involved in that. But there's some other purchases that it's like, man, do I really need this? Is this going to benefit the kingdom? Is this for me because God does want us to have some stuff we enjoy? Like, what is this? The more conversation that we have, the more I believe He will show Himself to you. And He will tell you no sometimes have to be willing to accept the no. Because He knows greater than we know. This is, this is what I want you to know more than anything else today. Is that as we begin to shift all these things in our life, starting with our satisfaction and our affection toward Jesus, that your life, I'm not telling you that you're, if you're struggling with something right now that you're, you're going to automatically stop struggling with it. But I'm telling you is that Jesus should be the center of everything in our life. And He's never going to be the center of everything in our life if we don't put our affection and satisfaction toward Him. Next week we're going to talk about how to make Him 
the, the one thing that drives everything in our home. Then we're going to talk about our influence and how we lead people. We're going to talk about our finances in a little more detail. And then we're going to talk about our, our time and our, our talents that He's given us. But all of that other stuff, home, influence, finances, our time and talents, none of that can shift toward Jesus until our affection is on Him. See, it's a, this is a new kind of affection. That's what Jesus does. That's what this parable is about. Is that we have affection toward all this stuff that we have. And then this man goes and sees a field which is like the kingdom of heaven and he covers it up and he goes and sells everything because he's joyful because there's a new affection that he has. The new affection is Jesus. Have you gotten to the point in your life where Jesus is the new affection? Where Jesus is the one that you care about more than anything else? Because when you do that, you become a better husband. You become a better wife. You become a better father. You become a better mother. You become a better son. A better daughter. A better friend. And in all your relationships, you're pointing people to Jesus. You become part of the rescue team. You're rescuing people from the grips and the power of this world. The same way that you were rescued by Jesus. Because let me tell you, somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody put on display the gospel for you. The Spirit urged you and you said yes to Jesus. Is He the new affection? And is that affection so powerful that nothing else matters? And if it's not, then this morning my prayer is that we, we offer that up to Him. We say, God, You haven't been the number one affection in my life. That I put myself, I put things, I put other relationships over You, and today I want to make a shift to where You are the one thing. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.